This podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are The Minimalists. Welcome to episode 156. Today, well... It's a day before Halloween, Ryan. It's going to be a scary podcast. One might say it's a spooky podcast. <laughs> we were really, no. this is not very spooktoberish. No, we're not, this is not going to be Halloween themed, but we did think it was the perfect chance for us to talk about fear because this is the time where kids dress up and terrorize their neighbors and force them to hand out candy. What is up with that, dude? Like, we. It's weird how we love to scare ourselves. Not all of us, but a lot of us like to scare ourselves. It's, it's sort of that, that adrenaline rush, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, oh, speaking of adrenaline rush. Okay. So I went mountain biking. I thought you were going to talk about Twista's 1995 album <laughs> of that name. Dude, that's a great album. Yeah, top top five hip-hop yeah, album, I think. so good, dude. Um, I went mountain biking on Sunday with uh, Conrad from, from Google. And yeah. he uh, he took me on this. Never heard of it. What is this Google? He uh, took me on this um, pretty easy, pretty easy pass, dude. So we get our bikes out and we start going up this hill, and it just gradually gets harder and harder. And then we get to this, we get to this stretch. It's just like you know, it's a pretty steep climb, maybe a half a mile. And Conrad is like ten years older than me, mm-hmm. and he is just breezing up this hill. Mm-hmm. And I literally like I pa- there was these there was these kind of older ladies walking yeah and I passed them on my bike mm. and then I was going up this hill and I got like halfway up it dude and I was just like okay I have like I have to take a break so instead of like just sitting there with my bike you know I start walking my bike up the hill right and <laughs> these these older ladies dude catch up with me because they're like power walking and then they start ribbing me like at least i don't have to carry a bike up the hill (laughs) and i was like all right all right ladies like uh, i was like it's all about the downhill like you know this is what this is why i do the same thing with like anything else like you know snowboarding it's you know going up the lift is miserable man it's all about you know getting able to come down that hill so i get back on and like i I finish out i finish out the hill and like i did pretty good it was just like right above my threshold which is great because it made me force myself to like you know, just push myself a little bit more than, than typically what I would. Sure. It's funny because you got the Peloton. Yeah. So on the Peloton, when they're like, okay, we're going into a climb. Mm-hmm. Like I have to, re- when the next time I'm on a Peloton, I have to remember what a climb actually is because the climb that I do on a Peloton was nothing <laughs> compared to what I was doing on the actual mountain bike. Right. So, so, uh, you know, it, it just totally, uh, has given me more motivation to like get on the Peloton more and like, you know, just, just, uh, get, get better in shape. Build up that endurance, those yeah. muscles, that experience. Yeah. So anyway, we finally get to the top of the hill uh-huh. and we, we're cruising down, dude. We're flying, man. And, and tune in the next week's podcast to learn what happened. <laughs> <laughs> flying down the hill, dude. And the trail forks. Uh-huh. Conrad goes right. And you can easily see how it you know going right kind of went 
it, it just went around and kind of was like this smooth, this smooth trail. Uh-huh. Left was this great little jump. Uh-oh. And dude, that's, th- that is what I love about mountain biking, man. It's like, I, there's this 12 year old mentality that I have mm-hmm. and I like, I see a jump and I'm like, sweet, a sweet jump, man. I do the same thing when I snowboard, right? Mm-hmm. So I hit this jump. Perfect, dude. Just come off of it. <laughs> as soon, I'm like, yay. And as soon as I get to the other side, I thought it was like a, a jump and then a down ramp on the uh, other side. Uh-huh. It was a jump and a 15 foot drop. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I swear to God, dude. So I'm in, I'm in midair, dude. Uh. I mean, it's like, you know, you got a, a second or two. The terror set in. Oh my God, dude. It was so bad. So Talk it was, about it was, fear. It was so slow motion, man. Like I go over the jump and I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> like what have I done? But because well, A, I have I have experience with like four wheelers and dirt bikes and stuff. So, you know, not my complete first rodeo doing a jump on something. First time I've ever attempted anything like that on a mountain bike. Yeah. But not my first rodeo as far as, you know, just experience with with doing some extreme stuff like that. So, you know, I it's you know you you catalog these different things different experiences and it's, it's when i was in the middle of the air all of a sudden i pulled i was like dude like i mean i didn't actually think this but was feeling like okay i know that if i hold on to these handlebars and i get my ass in that seat and i hold on as hard as i can i've got about an 80 percent chance of landing this thing <laughs> and that's exactly what i did dude like i came up and i literally like my i started to go head over uh-oh and like I just I sat my buck my my butt back uh-huh. and and just f- f- like bottomed out my bike, dude. But my bike's like fat tire; it's got nice suspension on it. Yeah. Um. Thank God for the awesome bike, because it's it really was. If it wasn't for the bike, like if it was a Huffy, I I would have crushed it. That bike. All I could think was is, dude, if you can get this bike to break your fall, <laughs> like it's gonna hurt as little as possible. So I'm not gonna lie, dude. When I landed. I had my eyes closed, man. And I just like was just like, oh my God, like, please. And I totally, dude, I landed that thing. Like totally rolled out of that, man. And Conrad. Didn't crash at all. No, Conrad was like, he was like, yeah, woo. Like he was just like, you know, hooting and hollering. <laughs> and uh, I went up to him and I was like, I was, you know, I'm hooting and hollering too. He was like, dude, he's like, you know, you came over that, you came over that ramp or that, that jump. And I, for a second, I was like, oh no, like. Ryan's about to get hurt and I've got to explain to people why his arms in a sling <laughs> and he's like but then you landed it and I just I thought oh man like I didn't realize Ryan was that exper-. he's like I didn't realize you were that experienced of a rider I'm like dude that's the first time I have ever attempted anything like that he's like you look like you do that all the time <laughs> but you know it's funny man I'll tell you I had this realization talking with him about how like, first off, the mountain biking in L.A. is much more aggressive than Montana, believe it or not. Well, at least in Missoula. I think maybe that's just because there are, are more people here. And, and because you have more people, you have a certain set of people who get especially well, aggressive. I'm talking about the hill in general, man. Like, the, the oh. hills are steeper. Okay. Like, um, at the Rattlesnake in Missoula, mm-hmm. I've like Mariah and I went there all the time with our mountain bikes. Yeah. And the climbs that we had at the Rattlesnake were not nearly as tough as the climbs of what we have in L.A. Right. And uh, I was talking to Connor, and I'm like, dude, it's crazy. Like, being in L.A., like, just this one experience with the mountain biking mm-hmm. has, like, totally, like, upped my game. 
Like it is totally, like I didn't even realize today I was going to learn something, but I mean, not that I'm going to go and try a bunch of, a bunch of crazy stuff now, but I totally feel more confident with my bike. I also know to, you know, before I take a jump to know what's on the other side. Yeah. There's, there's I, some kind of metaphor uh, there, dude. Yeah. That is the metaphor. <laughs> I, I, and especially with, with respect to fear, mm-hmm. um, the way to maybe, maybe tamp down the fear is knowing what's on the other side or actually Better yet, said another way, it's not knowing what's on on the other side. It's anticipating what's on the other side. Well, and you know, I I actually, I do feel, because um, I was talking to Jillian about this from uh, the Bergamont. I, um, I was telling, she was visiting, Bergamont's a band. Um, look up their song, uh, Forget About Tomorrow. It's great. If whoever's listening to this, look that song up right now. It's awesome. Anyway. It's in the show notes, right? <clears throat> right, podcast, yeah, it'll, Sean? it'll be in the show notes. So I was talking to her about it, and she was like, she was like, we were talking about how this is a metaphor. And when I think about the times where I've done that, I've done that before. It's not the first time I've done that. This is this is like has helped me to uh, be a little bit more trepidatious moving forward. What do you mean? Um, so Mariah and I went mountain biking a few weeks ago, and I did the same exact thing, except I bailed instead of landing the jump because I it was I, I made I might have been able to land the jump, uh-huh. but bailing I knew one hundred percent certain that I could get out of there with you know with minimal injury. Right. So I I bailed on the jump. Um, but the, what I'm trying to get at is before I took, you know, whether it was three weeks ago or what I did just a couple of days ago, when I hit that jump in my head, I knew the risk. Like I did know like, oh, this might be a drop, but probably not is what I was thinking. Right. But I was prepared for the worst case scenario. And when I hit that jump, it was like, oh, yep, this is the worst case. <laughs> this is exactly... But I, but I felt confident enough that even if the worst case scenario happened, I would still be able to bail out in a way that, you know, that I wouldn't be seriously, seriously injured. So that's my way of saying is like, I did take those jumps, but I was confident enough with my skill level to where like worst case scenario, I would have bailed or bike would have broken my fall and I would have been, I would have been okay. It but sounds to me like what, <clears throat> what you're saying here, and we can unpack this throughout the rest of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, confidence is a way to kill fear in a way it is it is but overconfidence can have you looking down a 15 foot drop yeah that's that overconfidence is hubris or or overconfidence is cockiness right and uh it is irrational confidence and as opposed to rational confidence and so so confidence itself can be should be grounded in rationality and and reason when we have hubris right that's when we really get into danger it doesn't help with the fear in fact it can create future fears yeah when i first learned to ride a bike i was uh, maybe five or six years old. Um, I tried to learn to ride a bike, but it was the neighbor teenage kids who were so old when I was, you know, five or six. Right? They were basically adults, and uh, they let me use their you know, big mountain bike huffy, whatever it was. And mm. they're like, "Yeah, just ride down this hill," and I couldn't even touch the pedals. And oh my god! One time, flipped over. I still have the scar on my chin right now. Oh my god! Uh, flipped over, busted my whole face open. Oh. And I didn't ride a bike again until I was, you know, about almost thirty. Oh wow! And because like <laughs> we're in Maui. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's Seriously. pretty funny. That was um, that's a good story. And and it's because like you 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 don't know what's on the other side and and 
you know, trusting someone else in, in that instance you know, as a kid I, I couldn't be blamed but now as an adult if something like that were to happen I'd have only myself to blame you, you can't just trust other people you have to know your level of competence but mm-hmm. there are two problems with that is quite often we underestimate our level of competence yeah. and that prevents us from doing anything meaningful mm-hmm. or we have that hubris and you say I'm I'm the king of the too world too confident yeah. yeah well I'll tell you what though man what I, I had this realization about Los Angeles um, whether it's mountain biking or whether it's like uh, you know these circuit training classes that uh, Dr. Ryan has has taken me to, there is <clears throat> there is uh, it's impossible to do these things without upping your game. So I was telling Conrad, I'm like, dude, you know, for a boy out of Ohio, I'm fit. Mm. I was like, but I am not. I'm Ohio fit. I am not LA fit. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. He's like, it's, it's. He goes, it's crazy to think, man. He's like, but when you think about it, people who move to LA, people who move to New York, like they're there to be their best. Mm. And he was like, if you're around a bunch of people who are trying to be their best, like right. it forces you to like push yourself more. He's like, dude, if you really want to get good at mountain biking, he's like, join a mountain biking club. And he's like, those guys will definitely motivate you. Mm-hmm. But it's like I have this. I, I have this new appreciation for this experience in los angeles dude because moving to los angeles has forced me to up my game um you know not just with mountain biking or with with exercise um but even with uh, my attitude man like i've had to uh, i've had to really concentrate because it's not it's not always easy to be super cheery and and happy in los angeles because there's just more people it's a little bit more packed people are a little bit more stressed and Mm. you know i've talked about it before about how um, you know, when I first moved here, I felt like I loved LA, but LA didn't really love me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You talked about how you changed that. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's like Los Angeles is, um, it's just really good. It's a good place to go to really help you up your game. And I, I feel like if I had came here when I was 25, like it would have chewed me up and spit me out, man. <laughs> <laughs> but at 37, like, you know, I feel like I'm making pretty decent choices and, and it's, it's a great time, but I'm oh. really, I'm really grateful for the experience just to to push myself a little bit further with, with so many different things here. Man, the two words you just said there like really stood out to me. Well, there was another one you said too, appreciation. So maybe maybe one of the ways to conquer fear is to appreciate the experience, appreciate the discomfort, because really that's what you're talking about. Whether you're going out with Dr. Ryan Green and doing these fitness classes that you would never do in Ohio or Missoula. I shouldn't say never, but we're less likely to do in, in those scenarios yeah. where it really pushes your limits not to a point where it's you're ramping off of a 40 foot cliff mm-hmm. like someone you know that you see youtube videos of yeah um you're not doing that immediately but you're going past your your way past your comfort zone mm-hmm. but far enough that you can still grow and appreciate that discomfort yeah. right and then the other two words uh you, you use there you talked about the uh what, what did he just say making decisions All right, so, I, I, so, so the two words yeah. were decent <clears throat> choices. Mm-hmm. We had to go back and listen to the, the game. Dude, tape. I was just going to say, dude, I wish that, like, we should do this all the time with our conversations and record them. <laughs> <laughs> so we could go back and be like, what was that point that you just made that I really wanted to talk about? <laughs> we could put out seven podcasts right. a day. Oh, my uh, God. No, I mean, I, I think the. So we talked about appreciation, and now, now let's talk about decent choices. I think ultimately the way you can make good choices is by continuing to make choices. You're gonna, you're going to make decisions that will end up being failures that you'll learn from. But the way you make good choices is to make bad choices at first. It's, you know, I'm raising a, a five-year-old who makes better choices now than she did when she was two. Mm-hmm. 
And it's because she continues to make more and more and more choices. And she'll continue to screw up just like you and I will continue to screw up. But the way to kill fear Mm -hmm. is, is that appreciation we talked about sort of combined with finding ways to make better choices. And, and, a lot of that has to do with with simply asking better questions as opposed to just the the knee-jerk reaction, the going with the flow. I'm just going to do this because it's easy, easy, easy. Or even worse, I'm going to do this because someone else told me to do it like I did when I first tried to learn to ride a bike. It was a terrible decision to ride a giant bike down a giant hill (laughs) the very first time I've ever ridden one. And so uh, what do I learn from that? I need to make better choices going forward. Yeah, especially in a place like this because like Los Angeles, it it has everything. Like anything you want. I I can get anything I want on my block. I mean, let alone Los Angeles, dude. Right. I mean, it's... You You don't have to leave your house. Yeah, you have so many options. It's like you... It's even more important to be able to make good choices because you have so many choices to make in this city. Yeah. Before we get into these questions, Ryan, what are you, what are you afraid of? <laughs> what am I afraid We're of? We're talking about fear today and we've got some questions about fear, but what are you afraid, afraid of? Everything, of? man. Everything. I'm afraid of failure. Okay. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of not being significant. I'm afraid of people falling out of love with me. I'm afraid of uh, everything, dude. I mean, yeah. there's... I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I know that I come across as pretty confident, but, um, it's like, if I don't have that confidence then I would just, I just, you know, crawl in a ball and like, you know, just hide from society, I guess, man. <laughs> yeah. Cause that, that's the alternative and it's not a pretty alternative. Yeah. It's not a meaningful alternative. No, it, it's not one that you'll find purpose or joy in either. You might find momentary pacification or Mm. momentary comfort or maybe long-term comfort but that's often the problem comfort is the place where we go and die it's really comfortable in that grave Mm. and and we don't experience we don't experience life there quite literally but also figuratively i kind of but you know what's great about any of those fears like when you can overcome the fear man like it feels so good like landing that jump i mean i don't think i would i I wouldn't i would not hit that same jump again Hmm. even though i landed it like i would not be like oh oh now i can hit that jump every single time remember our our friend uh but the feeling of accomplishment was just like overwhelmingly awesome our friend leo babalta wrote a blog post years ago called joy fear he made up this new word yeah and it, it reminds me what you're talking about getting to the other side of that fear is where the accomplishment the joy comes from mm. quite often and i think about we took uh, remember earlier this year we we took ella down to uh, disneyland uh, yeah. and and also your friend's <laughs> daughter uh what was her name um little zoe yeah zoe yeah, yeah kelsey's yeah. kid we yeah. took yeah it was zoe it was ella and then um olia her son yeah yeah sasha. our friend olia sasha yeah, yeah. um and <laughs> the first ride we took him to was pinocchio <laughs> well, I, 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 come on that's the first ride we took him to they were terrified yeah dude yeah. like of geppetto and, <laughs> right. and pinocchio. Of things they weren't supposed to be terrified of right but uh, what i'm remembering is uh, and you can actually i think you can still find this on my personal instagram it's at Joshua Fields Milburn. Oh, yes. Uh, under the highlights of Ella, there is this photo of... it's uh, we, we got on the log flume. What was it called? Uh, I forget what I it's called. Know, Splash, Splash Mountain. Mountain. Yeah. yeah. It's Splash Mountain. And, we're, and it's me, Bax, and Ella in this car together. And you can see me. I'm up front like, ah! 
and uh, right behind me is Ella, and the look on her face is perfectly encapsulated with that one word, joy, fear. It is. She is on the edge of terror, but also on the edge of elation, yeah. hysteria, uh, extreme joy <laughs> i'm just thinking about that picture dude that is well and then it zo- i, I a, zoomed in can, on, can we put a link to that yeah is that possible i, I think so I, uh, sean if you can at least put a link to my instagram you can find the highlights there at the top i believe uh I, it was an instagram story that, that i put up uh i actually had to buy the photo off of them because they took it off of the thing and yeah. then but anyway uh and then i zoomed in but you could really see the joy fear on her face yeah and what a perfect metaphor in order to experience the joy yeah. you have to get through that food you had to push right right against the edge it wasn't so terrifying that it was a terrible experience so let's keep that in mind she wanted to write it again well during it she was on the edge of like oh my god i don't know if i want this right but as she got to the other side then it was i have to do this again right i have to do it again all right well we do have some questions today well well, hold on what are you scared of oh nothing you're a you're bulletproof (laughs) let me I'm just terrified of 90s white rappers. Because <laughs> they will slay your ass. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, you know, Jojo Pellegrino. and <laughs> He would tear you up in a rap battle. Bone and MC so, Search. Seriously, man, what are you scared of, dude? Um, well, I, I think my answer to this a few years ago to be different from, from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to be really afraid of being forgotten. Mm. Uh, whether it was in personal relationships or in writing or whatever but it's a, such an irrational fear because if you pan out far enough we're all going to be forgotten right. George Washington is going to be forgotten Henry David Thoreau is going to be forgotten Seneca is going to be forgotten on a long enough timeline Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad are all going to be forgotten yeah. and so of course I'm going to be forgotten yeah. too right yeah. uh, you pan out long enough what 10,000 years from now 100,000 years from now doesn't doesn't matter there's some time frame where all of humanity is going to be forgotten yeah. so you're not scared of anything now well <laughs> no i mean <laughs> well, what i'm saying is that helped me sort of put it in perspective to to a great extent like there are rational fears and there are irrational fears mm. and, and a lot of my my fears now whenever i come across them i realize how irrational they are it's the mm. fear of not being significant mm. it is quite often that 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 that, that is an extension of what we just what I was just talking about yeah. there. But it's often like, well, I'm, I want to be significant. I want to do something. Uh, and, but really what I'm saying there is I want to do something meaningful while I am here. Yeah. It's not a fear of being forgotten. It's not a fear of not being significant. It's a, a fear of wasting my time, really. Mm. And that is a more rational fear because we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Yeah. Although I had someone, I, I've said this on the podcast before, and I... <laughs> <laughs> Jessica sent me this great comment. <laughs> oh, there was this gal on YouTube who oh, I God, swear dude, to you, I do not read those comments. Well, I, I well, Jessica sent this to me. It thank was just, God, thank God we have Jess to read those comments. Jessica, is I would amazing. just turn, I would just turn comments off. Too. By the way, Jess probably has less fear than than all all of us. Yeah, uh, in in this room right yeah. now, uh, but. Um, what <laughs> this comment this gal said you you guys say there's we all have the same 24 hours in a day but we don't and i swear to you she must have spent two hours crafting the next several paragraphs of of maundering wow um and it was like oh like you're you're actually proving a point here like we all do have 24 hours in a day you happen to have two hours to craft 
a, 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 a didactic right. uh, 4,000 word response yeah. to this video as opposed to creating something meaningful. The, only, the way that I respond to people now is by creating mm. as opposed to commenting. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean there isn't a place for commenting, but the best way to comment is to create. And, and quite often I find that we comment, that we respond out of fear. I'm yeah. going to get you back so what was so funny about her comment like what was she what what, what was what was funny was the irony in it oh. where, where she was basically just saying hey uh no some of us uh, we, see i have only 22 hours because i had to take two hours out of my day to craft this comment exactly yeah. and the point is no you get to choose how in, unless you are somehow enslaved um yeah then uh, you are you you get to choose how you spend your 24 hours well, today well you know here's the thing too man with anything that we talk about anything it is a it, it is a uh you know a majority of what we speak to so there's always going to be exceptions to the rule is what i'm really trying to get at man so when it comes to yeah but that goes without saying exact exactly but it's i'm just i guess i'm just saying that for my own benefit because when I see people, like when we say there's no such thing as good debt, mm -hmm. and then someone wants to send us this huge business plan <laughs> on how you know they were able to leverage millions of dollars, it's like okay, great. If you're a rich guy with millions of bucks, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and and but by the way, <clears throat> whenever we're talking about this, we're talking about this for me and you. Yeah. When I say there's no such thing as good debt, it's for I mean, us, man. for me, there's no such thing as good debt. It holds 100% true with you and I. Exactly. <laughs> Our first question of the day is from Beatrix in Germany. I'm single for about three years now and for about the same time I'm suffering from depression which also got worse over time. Right now I'm finally opening up about it. I told my parents and I told my best friends and I also got help so that's a good thing. But I recently just met a really awesome guy and we get along really well and I think this could be something meaningful between us but I'm afraid that I would just make him miserable with my mental health issues. So I don't know if I should just, you know, wait until I feel better and then try to find someone new or should I talk to him about it and how would I even bring it up? Well, first off, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you're going through some issues, but I'm really glad that you're actually going through them and not trying to get around them. Yeah. Congratulations on just having the courage to tell your your parents your best friend your your other friends um that well to me that's kind of a sign of what she should do here how so well if she's going to tell her parents mm -hmm. and tell her friends mm -hmm. and her best friend yeah i mean if she's looking at this gentleman like maybe they have a long-term future together right uh maybe this will be her best friend one day well so 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 she's got she's got a this might be the most important person for her to tell. Exactly. We, we, last week, we had the podcast with Peter Rollins about love, and he talked about what love is. Dude, that was one of my... I think that's my favorite podcast. Yeah, I think, I think we both agree. So it's good, it's definitely in our top five. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't listened to it, uh, episode 155, Love with Peter Rollins. I mean, uh, not only did we bring in a philosopher and, and a, just a, a genius, but a guy who really understands love mm -hmm. and all of its iterations. And in a way where he's not giving advice necessarily, he's not even giving answers. He's giving perspective. Yeah. And, and he's shining a light on what it means to love. And one definition of love for him was love is giving something you don't have to someone who doesn't even want it. Mm. Now for Beatrix, the thing that she doesn't have 
is the absolute confidence. She doesn't have everything. She's not the perfect human being. And so that fear, that anxiety, that depression, all of the downsides of humanity is the thing she doesn't have, right? Now, the person who doesn't want it is, yeah, this other person that you want to be with, they would love for you to be perfect. I know I'd love for Rebecca to be perfect, except I actually wouldn't. That mm. would get boring really quickly because... If Mariah was perfect, then I would just feel bad for not being perfect. Exactly, <laughs> right? And so you want to be able to exchange those those vulnerabilities with this person. Now, maybe he can't take that. Maybe he's not at a, a position in his life where he can handle the things that you're going through. But wouldn't it be better to know that now instead of two years from now where you start to reveal all of these these things that you've been hiding from him? Yeah. And by the way, aren't you going to feel really bad hiding these things from someone you really care about? Because that's not love. Hiding mm-hmm. your most intimate, most personal details. Now, we have to be careful, though. We can't dwell on those things either. There's mm. this sort of faux vulnerability. We see it online now. Like, it's weird when we look at social media. It's one of two extremes. In fact, I heard uh, Andrew Schultz uh, from The Brilliant Idiots. He talked about, uh, um, someone said, can you, can you sum up the internet in one sentence? He said, I, I can sum it up in one word extremes. Yeah. And what we see on the internet and on social media in particular is either perfection. You know, look at me, I climbed to the top of the mountain and I snapped this perfect selfie of my perfect body at the perfect moment as the sun was setting at the perfect time. Yeah. That's perfection, but it's not real. Yeah. There's this other side where it's like, woe is me. Oh, I'm having all these problems all the time. I'm showing you everything. It's uh, it's the same symptom. It's It's trying to show people I need your help. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm addicted to your attention. The social media posts, I'm having a terrible day. Don't ask. It's like... All you're saying is, please ask me about this. Exactly, yeah. And and you know what? You don't want to do that either. What you want to do is sit down and have a open and and rational conversation with someone you care about. Mm. Uh, I've been doing some uh, therapy recently for some, for you know, I've been dealing with a lot of health problems over the last two to three years and trying to uh, untether the, the, well, what, what the therapist would call psychological residue mm. that remains from certain traumas, whether it's childhood trauma or it is health-related trauma, geography, graphical trauma just these we we have this sort of subconscious uh residue that sticks around even after you've you've healed from the trauma consciously there's the the subconscious layer that that tends to stick around and uh going through that i've had to have some really difficult conversations honest conversations with bex Mm. uh and and realizing that this is I'm giving her something that she doesn't want Mm -hmm. because I know that she would rather I just have been healed and be perfect. Um, But I also know that if I'm going through something, she wants to know about it Mm -hmm. because she wants to help. And sometimes the best way to help is just to listen. Sometimes the best way to help is just to converse without, uh, without problem solving necessarily. Sometimes it is problem solving as well. Mm -hmm. But you might realize that this person that you're dealing with, this this new this new man in your life, Beatrix, he may not be ready for that, but you better find out now. It's better to find that out now. Better sooner than later. Yeah, because otherwise you're going to be wasting his time. You're going to be wasting your time. And um, I guess the other question that I would ask her, Ryan, hmm. is 
what are you really, you know, I had two questions actually. What are you afraid of? And then what are you really afraid of? <laughs> uh, I, I think of our friend Julian Smith. He wrote a book called The Flinch. It's a great book. And he talks about how we as humans have developed this, um, well, over, over many, many millennia, we, we've developed this ability to flinch. If you were to swing at me right now, I'm going to flinch, mm-hmm. literally flinch, right? To protect myself. The flinch, the real flinch is a protection mechanism. Yeah. And there are certain flight responses that we have. Yeah, dude. When that I'm, are very helpful. When I'm dropping off of a 15-foot cliff, yes. there are like responses that had to kick in. Or I could have been seriously injured. It's a necessary flinch. But when I, you know, got down the hill and I realized that when I hit the ground, my water bottle popped off and it was up on top of the mountain, mm-hmm. I was flinching. Like, oh, my water bottle. Yes. Why? <laughs> oh, if I would have just. And then I'm like, oh, it, I hope someone finds it and says, man, this is a really cool collapsible water bottle. Yeah. And then they end up using it. Like I was able to get over that. But it's like we flinch at dropping off a 15 foot cliff. Mm. And I flinch at losing my water bottle. Yeah, when, when our when our stock portfolio goes down one tenth of one percent in a week, yeah. you're like, oh no! And, and we, we flinch at these same these same things. So Sean, I put a link to the flinch in in the show notes. And and I think that what we realize is we need to realize is that there are the appropriate flinches yeah. that are helping us. There there are the appropriate fears that protect us. Mm-hmm. But however, most of the fears, 99% of the, the flinches are, are self-manufactured. Yeah. And, and we can, as you let go of the, the water bottle, we can let go of these That's fears, of these flinches. Well, it's funny, man, because, you know, the, the fear of, you know, falling on the, 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 the flinch, you know, falling on that cliff or, you know, coming off the other side of that ramp, the flinch of losing the water bottle. When I think about the anxiety that was induced it's actually equal amounts of anxiety with the falling off the cliff it's like an anxiety like i can accept like oh yes i'm supposed to be anxious about that yes i've got to react to this right now or with the water bottle i've got to look at that and say i know i feel really anxious right now but is this something that i really need to like perpetuate is this something that i need to sit here and dig my heels in and keep feeling angst about it right but it's it is it's interesting. Not useful. It is interesting how like it's the same feeling, and like it is up to us to be deliberate with where we're putting our attention with those with those different feelings. You know, the other uh, a couple things I wanted to tell Beatrix here is you know you you want to tell your your partner now what's going on because you want someone who can love you at your best, but someone who can also love you at your worst. And what I mean by that, it's not like Beatrix can just start you know killing puppies. And that her partner should love her. No. Well, you can. And, and the thing is, I mean, Ryan, if you started killing puppies, I would, I would love you still, but we wouldn't be friends anymore. Yeah, and you would go out of your way to help me and, and things like that. Yeah, I'd help you kill the puppies. <laughs> would you? I guess me, you're right. Help me hide the dead puppies' bodies. <laughs> of course I would. But no. But here's the, here's the thing, though. Is like there there is a limit. Meaning, when someone is continuously making bad choices and they are uh, uh, putting themselves in a situation that they are, you know, they are undoubtedly doing it to themselves whether it's a mental health issue or an addiction whatever it is i mean there is a certain limit where you'd be like ryan i we cannot be friends anymore however you know depression beatrix that's out of your control like that is something that you don't have full control over and throughout your entire life this problem might poke it's it's 
ugly little head out. I think and there's you have no some way control there's no way of telling. Well, uh, sure, there is some control, but she will never have full control over. I depression. totally agree with that. So, th- so since she will never have full control over the depression, um, she's got to make her partner aware of like, hey, this is one of my flaws, and you know, I'm feeling good right now. Um, but this might this might come out this might come out later, right? But we'll never have full control over anything, and th- that that's the reality. We don't have full control over all the circumstances that happen to us. Some of it's luck, some of it's happenstance, mm-hmm. some of it is sure. uh, um, uh, skill, some of it is yeah. Uh, yeah, inborn talent. S- some of it has to do with the cards we were dealt at birth or the accident that happened midway through our life. We you pan out far enough and you realize control is a bit of a, a misnomer right i mean when, we, when, we have decisions we have those decisions we can make on a regular basis and it seems to me like beatrix is making yeah. some good decisions right now exactly the, the thing that i will warn her about especially with respect to depression or let's just say sadness here misery loves company and you have to be really careful of that it's something i have to be careful of whenever i'm feeling down don't drag the people around you down as well you you can communicate what you're going through mm-hmm. without dragging the other person that you care about through the mud because that's not loving at all that's the opposite of love however it tends to be our uh, our our main objective at the time we're feeling bad how can everyone else be happy i remember when i got divorced dude like driving around and like seeing people smiling i'm like how dare you smile? How dare you smile? My marriage just ended. Yeah. You know, the other thing, Beatrix, is you don't want to mislead your partner. Um, it's not that you're misleading them right now, but on a long enough timeline, if you don't say something, then you are, you're not being yourself and you are misleading your partner. Mm. And I wrote down here how I would have the conversation personally. Um, I, I only do this because, you know, maybe she can't find these words. So I'm just going to give her a little, just a little sample of what I would say. I'd say... Uh, I have something very personal that I'd like to share with you. I'm a bit trepidatious because I'm scared of being judged because that's, that's a fear. I'm, I'm scared of being judged, man. Mm. She's scared of her partner judging her and leaving her. I'm scared of being judged, but I also want to be open with you because I value our relationship so much. So Beatrix, if you can go out of your way to show your partner how much you do value this relationship, being open and honest with them is one way, but also making those good decisions that help help you to control the depression as much as possible, right? Like if you wake up feeling sad, you can perpetuate that feeling and continue to do depressed and you can, uh, you know, you can crawl in a, in a hole and just sit there and cry all day. Yeah. Um, and, and that might be very easy to do. And I'm not trying to mitigate, like there is actual clinical depression, but we do have these small choices that we can make to, to kind of help control it a little bit. And Beatrix, if you're doing just the small things, that is, uh, that is going out of your way to, to show your partner how much you value that relationship. So continuing, I would say, you know, for the last few years, I've been struggling with depression. To be honest, you've been the brightest light in my life ever since I've struggled. I've been struggling with this. And I'm not sure if this is something you're willing to support me on, but I wanted to be upfront with you before things got too serious. And like that is a, that's a very, and you can edit that however you want, Beatrix. I'm just giving that as a tool for you. You could not even say anything like that. But, but taking that approach, it's being open and honest. And it's, 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 this is a long winded way of asking your partner, partner, your partner, would you be willing to support me through this time. Yeah. And, and by the way, make room for them to be open with you as well. Absolutely. Make room for them to say, you know what? 
I would like to, but I'm not able to. Mm-hmm. And that's okay too. You have to respect if they're not able to, if they're not in a place in which they can do it. And that leaves me with one last thing. There is this essay. Um, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's called The Worst Thing That Could Happen. Mm. And uh, I think it, it's a question that we often ask, but we don't ask the other side of it. Yeah. Risk is terrifying. Many of us associate risk with failure, failure with pain. Yet we're told we must take plenty of risks to succeed. succeed. Thus, success must be painful, right? Not necessarily. When it comes to challenging our preconceived notions about risk, the common platitudinal question tossed around by kind-hearted friends and self-help gurus is, what's the worst thing that could happen? And that's one thing I would challenge her to ask right now. What is the worst thing to happen? Truth be told, some risks are fairly benign. Letting go of of most of your material possessions, asking a cute guy or girl for his or her phone number, writing the first page of the book you've always wanted to write, what's the worst thing that could happen? Likely nothing at all. There's no real risk in these harmless endeavors. Other risks, however, probably should scare the hell out of you. Skydiving, purchasing a home, quitting your job, ramping 15 feet. (laughs) Uh, I added that part in here. Oh, I should have taken a picture of that clip. <laughs> I got to do Conrad when I landed that, it as you were going when, when Conrad and I were talking about it. Cause like the whole time I'm like, I can't believe I did that. He was like, dude, you can tell that story. However you want. I will totally get your back on that story. <laughs> He's like, that's one of the most amazing things I've seen. <laughs> it was a molehill. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he crashed. No. Uh, so, so there's some things that should scare the heck out of you, right? The uh, skydiving, purchasing a home, quitting your job. What's the worst thing that could happen? Some pretty awful things, actually. Death, debt, and poverty, respectively. Um, so so that death could happen if you skydive, so think about that. Debt can happen when you purchase a home. Sometimes you can be upside down like I once was uh, mm-hmm. when the housing crash happened. So debt. And then poverty. You quit your job? Yeah, you might end up poor or homeless. That's mm-hmm. It's not something to be taken lightly. And so, uh, yeah, think about those things. That doesn't mean you shouldn't take these risks. It means you should approach each risk with logic, reason, and intuition. Peer over the edge before taking your proverbial leap. And if it makes sense, then leap. Because not leaping can be a much bigger risk. Mm. The difference then between the benign risks and the real risks is that the latter and the latter possesses potentially life-altering worst-case consequences, while the former possesses virtually no threat at all. When you think about it, though, the benign risk can also hold life-altering consequences if you change the question. What is the best, not the worst, but the best thing that could happen? Perhaps getting rid of your excess stuff will free up time, money, space, and give you the much-needed uh, peace of mind that you've been looking for. Perhaps that phone number will lead to a fulfilling relationship, or in Beatrix's case here, perhaps this conversation is what will really make the relationship fulfilling Mm -hmm. and and whole. I I shouldn't even say whole or complete, because it'll never be truly complete, but it will make the the relationship the best version of itself. Well, dude, if her partner is a uh, seven on the... uh, What is the test called? Not the Myers-Briggs. The Enneagram? Yeah, so if her partner is a seven on the Enneagram, I mean, he could very well look at this as an opportunity to 
be a mentor to her and to help and to help her absolutely and maybe yeah. maybe this is the opening he's looking for yeah to say i really want to help you thank you for absolutely. giving me this opening or maybe he says you know what i'm really out for myself right now i'm, I'm career oriented and i don't have time for this but then at least you know mm. and the worst thing that could happen there might actually end up being the best thing that could happen um lebron james was talking about this recently um, when he, I think it was 2011, uh, when they lost to Dallas in the semifinals, the Heat lost to, to mm-hmm. Dallas in the semifinals of, of the N- NBA playoffs. And they asked him if it was like his, his, if that was his biggest failure. And he said, no, that was my biggest success mm. because it helped me understand that I wasn't really fully committed. I wasn't all the way in. Uh-huh. And, and that helped me win the next several championships and also go back to Cleveland and win that championship, which is one of the biggest accomplishments ever. So sometimes those biggest failures, those moments you walk away from mm-hmm. lead to the, the biggest accomplishments in the future. I won't read the rest of this essay, but we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Ryan, how about we give Beatrix a copy of our book, Everything That Remains? Cool. Because um, there's a chapter in there specifically where we talk about vulnerability and, and opening up for love and being vulnerable. And so some of the lessons that, that I learned with one of my most precious relationships that I really, really screwed up. And uh, I realized I wasn't being vulnerable, but I also learned about contributing to that relationship in a way that, that I, I needed to, but wasn't. And so, Sean, if you could reach out to Beatrix, send her the audiobook version. If you like our podcast, you'll love the audiobook version of Everything That Remains. It's my favorite book that we've, favorite, favorite thing we've ever written. Or, um, we have the book book version. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see the book book version here. Or if you want the ebook version, we'll send that to you as well. It's called Everything That Remains. It's a memoir by the minimalists. All right. Our next question is from Bianca in, well, the sheet here says vagina, but I bet she's in Virginia. <laughs> I've, never Beatrix. Been, I've never been to vagina, but uh, it sounds like heaven. <laughs> Beatrix, Bianca, that's some good alliteration, man. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk to Bianca in... Virginia, I believe. I can definitely call myself a minimalist now. Um, even my four-year-old, I would call her one. Um, the thing she says, it just the fact that she can grasp it at such a young age and appreciate it is so wonderful. And my husband's really supportive, um, so I'm really lucky there. And the, we've gotten rid of so much stuff, and I've, my health has improved. Everything. Just, it's great. I love it. And that's the way I want to live my life forever. Um, but recently, a lot of my immediate family, my own parents, and my in-laws have really come down on me, attacking me. I've been called a bad parent. Um, I've been called not humble. I grew up in Virginia, so I my mom said that she thought she raised me with more Southern grace and style than to um, not accept gifts. And, well, I try to decline them in a really positive way. I'm like, oh, well, this money could be used elsewhere. Or this gift could be used elsewhere. I'm not going to find value in it. I try to do it in the most respectful way. But the older generation just doesn't get it. And I don't expect them to get it, but they're, they're very mean to me about it. And I just don't know what to do. At this point, I want to just, like, cut everyone off but my husband and daughter and people our age that get it um but i don't know if that's the right thing to do man i so so here's the thing i mean of course i'm going to going to start off by saying judgment is but a mirror that reflects the insecurities of the person who's doing the judging Mm. and it's great that you have this immediate 
internal support system. Your daughter is a minimalist, which is is great. Um, can I borrow her? Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't sound forced either. It sounds like like her daughter can see the benefits of giving to another kid or doing yeah. something you know better with their resources than just having an extra Barbie doll or something. And the most important thing is your husband, your partner in life is supportive. That's amazing. And yeah, bravo to you. Now you're in a circumstance where the people on the periphery, they may still be your primary relationships, but but they're probably not. Even your close family now is becoming secondary or tertiary relationships mm. to you because of the way that you are, are being treated, because of the way they are treating you. First thing I'll say to you is if someone who loves you is being mean to you, they might love you, but their actions don't reflect that kind of love. What and also we, it also reflects like the judgment that they have on themselves. Yeah. So uh, sometimes the people who are meanest to you love you the most. We we did a living room conversation with Peter Rollins after our podcast last week. It's up on our YouTube channel right now. And the question that we answered there was um why do we fall out of love? Mm. We also did a postscript episode on on Patreon, and the question there was about: um, Is love is, the answer? Is love it, all we really need? Right. Yeah. And the the answer is: It depends what you mean by by love. Ultimately, right? Like love isn't enough mm. if uh, if our actions don't show that love as well. Because you can love someone and still be mean to them. And it sounds to me like her family is being mean to her. And, yeah. and I think the tool that you have right now, the lever that you have right now and this hurts to say but it's the truth the the leverage you have right now is distance mm -hmm. and you're and you're gonna have to in a way create that distance because if you had to choose this relationship all over again if you were able to go back and pick your parents it, right now your parents are being mean it doesn't mean that they don't love you but they're treating you a way that isn't loving yeah and the way for you to fix that is to create a distance to make room for people who do love you and show you their love and show you that they care show you their their support yeah. now the thing i'll say ryan tell me if you agree with me on this i i um if they give you a gift mm -hmm. I'm not going to go out of my way to turn that gift down. No. Know? Well, the worst thing you could do in that scenario, like I'm thinking of the parodic, exaggerated example here. Um, if you were to hand me a gift, like, well, today's your birthday. We're recording this on your birthday, actually. Mm -hmm. Happy birthday. Thanks. If I were to bring you a gift and you're like, I hate gifts, and you slapped that on my hand and walked out of the room, mm -hmm. that'd be like the worst thing you could do, right? Yeah. Uh, or I guess you could punch me or something. But like, <laughs> other than physical violence, you could slap the gift out of my hand, walk out of the room. That is how her parents might be receiving or perceiving her her um, rejecting the gift. Yeah, her rejection of the gift, mm -hmm. and they might even though you're not doing that, that might be their perception. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the ways that you can get over that, if 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 it's just about you receiving the gift, there are two things you can do. One is, and you, you need to take some you're, you need to take some responsibility here yourself, Bianca. Is ask yourself. How am I setting the right expectations with them? Yeah. Six months in advance, am I letting them know that, hey, I'm not saying don't get me any gifts, don't get my daughter any gifts, but gift us some experiences, gift us cons consumables. Here's what we need. Setting those expectations and then not just planting the seed six months in advance, <laughs> but watering that seed over and over and over so that by the time they show up, mm -hmm. they, they know both consciously and subconsciously what you need because gift giving is not a love language. Adding value is the love language. And what your parents are trying to do here is they're trying to find a way to add value to your life in 
the only way they know how. It's not adding value to your life. You can't communicate to them though, hey, this doesn't add value to my life. You need to tell them what does add value to your life. And the other thing that you can do is accept the gifts they give you. Mm-hmm. and say thank you very much. I really appreciate that you're trying to add value to my life. Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. And then do a better job setting that expectation going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And once you accept those gifts, they're your gifts. You get to do what you want with them. Yeah, it's funny. Like, if I gave someone a gift and, well, I'll give you a perfect example. I uh, I was in Ireland with uh this was you know september 2016 and mariah and i had stayed with uh john sweeney who's just got an incredible story probably Um, the only john sweeney in all of ireland (laughs) (laughs) and uh he's a great dude awesome family and when i left like i was motivated to buy his kids christmas gifts so like mariah and i we went out of our way and we took each child and we were like okay, this child is going to really appreciate this. This child is really going to appreciate that. And I, we wrapped him up because I knew that his kids would, would really enjoy unwrapping something sent from the States. And uh, I was fairly certain when I got them, they would be really, really excited about. And because I, I mean, I got to, we got to know their kids like individually, like on a, on a pretty good basis. So I sent the note to John and I was like, Hey man, you know, I know it's really weird getting gifts from one of the minimalists. I said, but I really think that these things are going to add value to your kids lives. If they don't like feel free to get rid of them because the, the thing that would, the thing that would hurt worse than him rejecting the gift would be him holding on to a gift, making himself miserable just to not hurt my feelings right. because I didn't get them gifts to, for them to hold on to and to, to say, you know, look at me, I got you these gifts. I gave them the gifts for them to enjoy. And if they don't enjoy the gifts, if they enjoy their life more without the gifts, then I want him to get rid of those. But the one thing that you, you uh, were talking about there, Josh, was, was support. You kept bringing up support, man. So if I was Bianca, the first thing I would start with in this situation is I would ask myself, have I gone way out of my way to add value to my family's life? Bianca, if you have gone out of your way to add value to your family's life, then then the next question maybe you need to ask yourself, you know, have I gone way out of my way to support them? So if you've gone out of your way to add value, if you've gone out of your way to show support to your family, then you've got to have that talk that I had with my mom when I first when we first started the minimalists. You've got to go to your family, you gotta to go to your mom, and you gotta say, Mom. I love you so much. You love me, don't you? She's going to say, of course, I love you. Mom, I want you to be happy. I really want you to be happy. And you want me to be happy too, right? Yeah, of course I want you to be happy. Well, if you want me to be happy, I don't need you to be a minimalist. I don't need you to stop buying gifts uh, for everyone, but I really need your support. Mm. And what your support is going to do is it's going to help you and I have a better relationship and it's going to help me be happier. If they don't support you after that, I totally agree. You've got to create that distance. Mm-hmm. But it is impossible. I, mean, I loved it, man. I forget what city we were in, but um, this uh, uh, teenage teenage girl, her mom, teenage girl dragged her mom out to one of our events. Yeah. And she was like, oh, you know, it's so nice to meet you. And she was like, you know, I really am like, my mom really needs your help. And, you know, she's got all this stuff. And I could tell her mom is like being polite and not, you know, kind of arguing with it. Like she's just letting her daughter kind of throw her under the bus with her stuff yeah (laughs) and i looked at the daughter and i said you know what it's so awesome you brought your mom out here 
I said, have you gone out of your way to add value to your mom's life? Have you gone out of your way to support her? And she was like, oh, I do forget to do that sometimes. Mm. And her mom was like, her mom was like, thank you for saying that. Like I could tell, but, but, you know, just, just asking that question, it kind of helps us to, you know, just look in the mirror a little bit more. I think sometimes we, we, we need to look out the window and say, you know what, um, I've gone out of my way to support that person and there's nothing more I can do to, you know, make this relationship any better. I've really done what I could, exhausted all the resources I could to make this, this, this relationship good, but I've decided to not hang out with that person. But sometimes we need to look in the mirror and ask, what have we done? We're asking this person to support us. What have we done? How have we gone way out of our way to support that person? But just going back to what I said, yes, Bianca, if you've gone out of your way to add value to your family's life, if you've gone out of your way to support them and they're not giving it to you back, well, that is a, that's a pernicious relationship. Yeah, I mean. And it doesn't matter if it's your mom. It doesn't matter if it's your cousin. It doesn't matter if it's your friend. It doesn't matter. Whoever you have in your life where it's a pernicious relationship, that is only going to bring you down. It's not going to help you. You've got to create that distance. And sometimes when you create the distance, that gives you the leverage to actually improve the relationship. Now, you can't change someone else's expectations. And that's what she's calling up asking us right now is how do I change this other person's expectations? You can only change your own. Mm -hmm. You can set expectations better. And like Ryan said, you can certainly go out of your way to add value. And uh, oh, and speaking of, if you want some practical uh, gift giving tips, we have um, a book called Essential. And it's 150 essays, but 12 different chapters about intentional living. One of those chapters is actually about gift giving. So, Bianca, I'd love to send you a copy of Essential. It's, um, which chapter is it? I don't know. But there's an entire chapter on, on gift giving in here. Podcast, Sean, if you could reach out to Bianca, give her the audiobook version. Or if you want the book book version, you can see it here on, on YouTube or the ebook version as well. I'll tell you too, Josh. If I try to appease every family member and every friend, like I wouldn't have got much further with you than the minimalists.com. I mean, I would have like stopped there. Yeah. And the reason why I continued is because I knew, I know who I am. I know what my actions were, are, I know what my intentions are, were, and that is what gave me the confidence to push through any insult, any, any negativity that was, that through was the fear. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, this is a very hard sentence for me to say, but it's the truth. We don't owe our family anything. Mm. You don't owe your family anything. The only thing that you could, the best thing you can do for your family is support them, love them, go out of their way to add value. Beyond that, you do not owe family anything. Family is such, is such a, um, it's a, it's, it's, it's a misnomer sometimes. People will say, uh, like my, my brother, for example, he was explaining to me, he's like, man, you know, I feel like we're not close and, uh, you know, y- y- you know, you've, you've got, uh, you're in Montana and blah, blah. And he's just like, you know, kind of getting down on me for like not being close to him. And I'm like, well, let's, I was like, let's talk about how you've treated me. How have you treated me over the last few years? Oh, that doesn't matter, man. We're family. It doesn't uh, matter how I treat you. I'm like, no, no. See, it does matter. Absolutely. I was like, I have friends who treat me better than the way you've been treating me. It doesn't matter, man. Those are friends. Those aren't family. We're blood, man. I said, yeah, dude, but don't you think even the more so that family should go out of their way to treat me better than how my friends treat me? And like that, that hit them pretty good. Hmm. Because, because family is, 
it does mean something like it family does mean something to me i'm not trying to undermine how important family is to me like i have some family members that i would just throw myself on the tracks for like i really really appreciate uh, all my family i mean at this point like they're all kind of come full circle and like they're really really supportive but you know at, at the end of the day though like i cannot forsake my own mission for someone else's discontent tweet that <laughs> that's good we'll put that in the minimal maxims all right y'all we'd love to hear what you have to say so if you have a comment or a tip about fear or any halloween costume advice (laughs) including any advice for any of our callers today leave us a voicemail 406-219-7839 you can also email a voice memo to podcast at the minimalists.com we'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode and stay tuned to the end of this episode for this week's listener comments and tips Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from the social medias. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalists during the lightning round. This is where Ryan and I each do our best to answer every question with just a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. And now you can find all of our quotes in one place thanks to our good friend Jessica Lynn Williams over at minimalmaxims.com. All right, our first lightning round question is from Daisy. Do you have any tips about conquering the fear of putting your creative work out in the world? I'm haunted by thoughts like, others have done it better, and what if people hate it? <laughs> well, you know what? Both those answers are true. Like, yes, someone's probably done it better, and yeah, some people are going to hate it. <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, it's absolutely true. They... they um, Here's the thing, um, and I'll give you my pithy answer here in a second. Yes, uh, others have probably done it b- better, but they haven't done it how you've done it. Yeah. And I remember when we first started the minimalist.com, uh, uh, we started the website. Um, and a few months later, I realized how many, I, I only knew of like four or five minimal, other minimalist bloggers out there, all of which were doing it better than us at the time, for sure, because we hadn't done it yet. So by definition, they were doing it better just because they were doing it. Even if they were doing it badly, they were doing it better than us not doing anything at all, right? Yeah. Something done badly is better than it not being done at all. You can reword that and probably tweet it, podcast, Sean. Yeah, that's but, great, man. Um, what I realized, once we started blogging, we started connecting with all... There were a thousand different minimalist bloggers out there. And the difference was you and I had a different perspective. We were these two corporate guys. We were still both in the corporate world at the time, mm-hmm. uh, approaching age 30, mm-hmm. uh, both about to turn 30 that year. And um, we were walking away from this corporate world, but we also had the skill sets that we developed from this corporate endeavor that we had gone through over the last dozen years working at the same corporation climbing the corporate ladder learning about leading people learning about our own values and what we no longer valued we also had the perspective of our childhoods growing up really poor and 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 living through poverty and discontent and substance abuse and alcoholism and all of these perspectives were different from these other people so even if someone's doing it better they're not going to do it like you and so my pithy answer for you daisy to answer your question is it's not worth creating if everyone likes it amen yeah mom always told me if everyone likes you something's wrong yeah. something's up what yeah. about you ryan you oh and by the way i got some stuff from uh, seth godin here uh, and because she asked about 
like I printed out these two essays. She asked about like, what do I do now? And and these to me were really inspiring. We'll put a link to both of these in the show notes. They're really short. Uh, this one's called The Daily. And Seth Godin writes this. Is there something you do every day that builds an asset for you? Every single day? Something that creates another bit of intellectual property that belongs to you? Something that makes an asset your own, uh, you own more valuable? Something that you learn? Every single day is a lot of days. It's easy to look at the long run and lull yourself into skipping a day now and then. Now and then. But the long run is made up of short runs. Yeah, man. Even if it's not a public asset even if it's just like a journal it could be a journal it could be a, a private blog yeah. it could be a pseudonymous blog you know yeah. under someone else's name it, it could be a podcast it could be a youtube video series it could be writing a book but doing it every single day you know mm-hmm. i teach a, a writing course how to how to write better.org and um one of the things i teach my writing students is building that habit of writing every single day but writing crap it's what Anne lamont calls the sfd right <laughs> the crappy first draft yeah um and and uh the, S- the cfd i got you <laughs> yeah there you go well she, yeah anyway. <laughs> oh, oh 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 i see i see <laughs> and, and um, we're trying to cuss less yeah well i just i haven't done it yet this episode so uh otherwise ella has to come in at the beginning of the episode and say this podcast has bad words <laughs> um which i'm totally fine with but uh I don't have to be gratuitous either. Uh, anyway, uh, what, gotta get it out of the way. Yeah, what I've what I've learned is that you have to have that that terrible first draft in order to create anything meaningful. This book right here in front of me, everything that remains, um, was about it was over seven hundred pages mm-hmm. at its bloated zenith, but. A lot of it was it was not 700 publishable pages mm. it it's 200 publishable pages but you had to get all the sediment out so you could go panning for gold yeah and i think that's that's what's important and so yes other people are going to do it better from you some people are going to hate it and that's that's good that means you're doing something meaningful you know you got a note here i don't know if if, if i missed you saying this but you you have a note that says create to create not to reach an objective oh yeah yeah that's something else you could tweet here podcast sean and so that, that is so true man because it's too often Often, like we have these expectations with our creations and if the creation comes to its full and we're like oh this isn't going to achieve the result that we expect like that can paralyze us from putting it out into the world right and and by the way what other choice do you have you have to you still have to keep creating after that otherwise you're just going to stop creating yeah I, i mean i think about uh, one of my favorite things I did in my 20s, I wrote a novel called As a Decade Fades, mm-hmm. and I don't recommend you read it necessarily, but some of my favorite writing of my life is in there, and some of my, the worst writing of my life is in there as mm-hmm. well, worst published uh, writing, and uh, there are parts of it that are truly beautiful, but I did it, and it's out there, and I'm a better person because I went through that exercise of many years, like four or five years of writing that thing, yeah. and uh, and because the alternative was what? To not write it and not become a better writer in the process. Uh, one other thing from Seth Godin here, diving boards. The leap at the swimming pool is obvious indeed. 10 steps up the ladder, the weight at the end of the board, the moment in between not diving and diving. The leap is clear. We can see it and we can feel it. In day-to-day life, we have worked to eliminate that feeling. 
organizations and marketers and friends work hard to have it happen gradually instead an incremental almost invisible creep along a slippery slope until the next thing we know we're in a rut or bored or ill we've constructed a life where we rarely leap like a new job and most of the time we coast or fade or increment our way forward it might be worth investing the effort into turning some of your decisions back into leaps. And right now, Daisy's at this precipice, and she can either leap and start creating, or you can increment your way toward nothing and meaningful. You yeah, can react, you can respond, you can comment, you can retweet, but that's not where you're going to get the satisfaction, the joy, the value, the meaning, the creativity that you desire. Yeah, and the, and the difference here between the leap that I took with that 15-foot cliff and the one that Daisy's talking about, she knows what's on the other side. Like, she has a very good idea of what is on the other side. And by the way, you can't get hurt from this leap. Right, and that's just it, man. It's like, and that's that's kind of a metaphor, too. It's like, you can take that jump as long as you can clearly see what that landing is is looking like. And even if I knew what was on the other side of that jump, it's still a, it's still a risky jump, but having experience, um, having good reaction skills, being comfortable with, with my skill set, I know that it may be a messy landing, but I'm going to land. Um, my, my, one, one more thing for Daisy before you get into your short answer, cause I love it is just a practical thing. I recommend if, if you're there right now and you want to start a blog, uh, just check out our guide to start a blog. We have so many people email us about starting a blog. Just go That's to, how a lot of people find us. Yeah. com slash blog. Like I was looking how to start a blog and I came across your website. And now I listen to your podcast or whatever. So, so yeah, the minimalists.com slash blog. Ryan and I couldn't even spell HTML eight years ago. Um, and, we figured out how to start a blog and it's it was honestly the best creative decision we ever did because it led to everything else whether it was the books or the tours or the podcasts and everything else it all started with starting a blog yeah i mean my short answer really just kind of speaks to what you had noted there you know create to create not to reach an objective don't let perfection be the enemy of creation because right now that's where daisy's at she feels like her creations aren't perfect and she's scared about the feedback she's going to get from her imperfect creations. But if you let perfection stunt you, well, then you're, you're going to spend your life stunted. Yeah, yes, indeed. <laughs> well, and if you get that feedback, feedback is great. In fact, early on, when we first started creating, we had comments on our blog. Now people yeah. can comment on YouTube or wherever. Well, but, helpful criticism. Well, I say feedback. That, 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 that's, that, that, that's what feedback... I, I, I delineate criticism from feedback. Criticism is the seagull who flies over, craps on everything, flies away. Mm. Uh, it so does, helpful, doesn't add value. They, so helpful criticism, you wouldn't even call it helpful criticism. You would, you would just call it feedback. I call it feedback because they provide a solution like usually. Mm. It's not... Criticism illuminates the problem feedback highlights the solution mm. tweet that sean um yeah so so in early on you'll get the feedback you need to make your writing better or your creations better and that's a good thing absolutely all right our next question is from matthew matthew writes i'm paralyzed by decision overload i have viable options for careers but it's hard to choose one and i don't want to look back on missed opportunities well, here's my short answer for you, Matthew. Missing out is letting go in advance. Mm. And uh, think about that for a second. Sometimes we pick something up because we don't want to miss out. I've got this 
quote opportunity in front of me. I'd be dumb not to do it. But so I pick it up. I waste all my time on it. And then I am forced to let it go a month from now, two months from now, six months from now, a year from now, a decade from now. I've been dragging this opportunity with me this whole time. But maybe if you just miss out, you get to let go of that problem in advance. Now, yeah. uh, go, going back to his, his problem, or well, his question here, really, he said, I'm paralyzed by decision overload, right? Yeah. I have viable options for, for uh, careers, but it's hard to choose one. And um, thinking that we have some, some, some options are, are binary, but mm. most aren't. And so my second pithy answer for him is binary thinking produces grayscale rainbows. Yeah. Sometimes you're missing out on something and you're not, you don't have to fully miss out on it. I mean, I think about uh, my team of doctors who helps me out. One of them isn't a, I mean, he was on the podcast, uh, Chris Kelly, and he brought Dr. Tommy Wood on the podcast. Now, Chris is more informed than any uh, doctor that I've worked with. And he's been more helpful to me than any doctor I've worked with, but he is not a doctor. He is a computer scientist. And he left that world and started, he's an autodidact. He just started learning all about his own health problems because he had a lot of the same health problems I had. And he started mm. fixing himself mm. and he started working with other doctors. And he isn't a medical doctor per se, but he and the folks at the team at Nourish, Balance, Thrive have helped me with my medical problems more than any medical doctor has. So mm. is your objective becoming a medical doctor or is it healing people because if it's healing people maybe you're not missing out on the opportunity of not becoming the medical doctor maybe there are other ways to help heal people absolutely i mean my short answer is there are many live oh my goodness let me redo that there are many paths in life if you choose one that aligns with your values and beliefs you can't go wrong you know i think about mariah and i we love to go to different restaurants. I mean, there's just like an endless amount of restaurants in LA and we love trying, just having new experiences with, with these different restaurants. And we went to one last night, um, very nice place, Italian place. And they had like this menu that I could have just, you know, closed my eyes and picked something random. It probably would have been awesome. Uh -huh. And it was this like decision overload. And Mariah and I are talking about what we're going to get. And I'm like, okay, I'll get this. And then you get that. And we'll, you know, we'll share, we'll have a bite. And okay. And you guys, we were with, uh, the, the folks from Bergamot, uh, Nathaniel and Jillian, are right, you guys get that? And we'll have a bite of yours. And like, you know, we're trying to pick everything as much as we can. Right. But like, there's a point where like, you know, I've got to look at it and say, okay, um, I can't get everything off this menu. Mm. Uh, I have to make a decision. Um, so what do I need to consider with this decision? Well, we've got to consider Mariah's dietary restrictions. We've got to con you know, consider healthy decisions. Um, if I ever want to go back to that restaurant, I can always go back there right. and try it again. And if it burns down, you know, yeah, maybe I'll be a little bit bummed out that I couldn't try the rest of the menu, but there are a lot of other restaurants. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that Matthew, you are going to miss out on stuff. In fact, once you make a decision, you're missing out on 99% of everything else. But it doesn't mean that this is your only path, the only time you get to choose a path. Yeah. I, I would just add one thing to that because I, 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 I agree with your pithy answer as long as your values and beliefs are grounded in morality, right? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, I think, I think values... Um, 
I, I mean, it's I, I, to me. I mean, it's values are always in conjunction with morality. I, I don't think so. And and I mean, we, we yeah. Give me, we give me can, an example. We, well, we could have a long esoteric conversation about that. But, okay. But Hitler valued certain things. So we're talking about exceptions rather than the rule. I see what you're saying. Well, maybe. But I don't. I don't. Hitler's think an so. exception. Uh, right. He, no. No. He's a he's a, an exaggerated hyperbolic example mm. to illustrate the point. There are many people who value the wrong things. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I in my twenties, my values, uh, I valued the wrong things. But even then, like sometimes, you, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. Like we need to be deliberate with what our values are. We need but, to understand uh, but our I can, values. But, but I wouldn't. I can never look at someone and say you're valuing the wrong things. I could say I can. I could say I, I, I can I look. Guess, at, I can look at myself and say that. Sure, that's exactly where I'm going with it. I would yeah. never look at anyone else. And say you're valuing the wrong thing. I could say from my perspective, I I would not value that because of X, Y, and Z. But I would never criticize someone on on what they on what they value as long as long as it's not interfering with other people's well being. Right. I mean that's I mean and like I said I think that kind of goes inside. But yeah, I understand what you're saying about we could kind of get into an esoteric conversation. P.S. We have several more questions about fear, Ryan. I reached out to our Patreon audience here. And uh, we have a bunch of questions. I know we won't be able to answer all of them, but I'm really fascinated by some of these questions. So let me let me see what we got here. Um, here are my four favorites. Corey asked, how do you know if it is fear holding you back or if you are actually not ready? For example, changing a career or starting a business. Uh, Angel asked, fear is nearly always a factor when a big change is in the works such as finally quitting a job that doesn't align with your values but pays the bills how do you balance planning for the big change to leave at the quote right time versus taking the leap and the rich asked uh, my partner is changing jobs leaving a job she hated hated and starting a new one but it's not her dream job but she will probably hate this new job less. But she would really love to start her own business and open a shop. But there is fear of failure. There's a lot of buts in this, this question here. But there's fear of failure coupled with the overwhelm of where to start. Any advice to help the fear of really going for what she wants and starting her own business? And then finally, Benjamin asks, I was taught that I need to avoid conflict and to put others before me. And keep everyone happy. <laughs> I was I was taught to ignore everyone who wasn't in the Watchtower and Track Society. <laughs> <laughs> I fear that if I speak up for myself, it would cause more issues than if I stay silent. What could I do to practice getting rid of this fear that I know is something I shouldn't be fearful of in the first place. So we have those questions and possibly some others about fear. And if you'd like to hear our answers to those questions, then you can listen to this week's Postscript episode over at the Minimalist Private Podcast, available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. I'm going to stop reading from the script for a second and just say thank you if you are a Patreon supporter. You help keep the lights on, quite literally. Yeah. Um, we have this light on above us that you help pay for, um, but also the studio space that we're in. You pay for Jordan, our filmmaker, podcast Sean, our podcast producer uh ryan and i don't make any money from the podcast at all yet in fact we actually we spend money i'd eventually like to make money from it so if you want to become a patreon supporter we'd be really grateful and because we're grateful we do a bunch of extra stuff for our patreon supporters that are it's exclusive to you so every week we have this thing that's called the minimalist private podcast feed so it shows up in your regular pod podcast player say you listen to this on apple podcast or overcast or wherever you listen to, to podcasts 
and uh, you just get this little RSS link and you put it in, it's your private, own private link. So we do a separate podcast episode every single week. We also, once a month, we do this uh, live stream where we do a video episode where we answer your questions. It's called Ask the Minimalist Anything. And over the last year, we've put 15 live events over on the Minimalist private podcast feed as well. So if you want to listen to our live events, whether it was in Dallas or Houston or Austin or Philadelphia or Manhattan or a bunch of others, um, we had these wonderful private podcasts. Uh, Ryan did one with Cal Newport. Um, well, I was definitely so ill for that. Cal and Newport and uh, Peter. No, Paul, Pete, Paul. Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson. Peter yeah. Johnson, Paul Johnson. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And so we, we do a bunch of things for our Patreon supporters because we keep this podcast 100% advertisement free and we could really use your help. So if you want to help us out, head on over to theminimalists.com slash support and you can find ways to support us. You could become a Patreon supporter and listen to our extra episode every week. You can find all the details and good stuff over there at theminimalists.com and here is a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. You're never going to be completely ready, but you're going to be as ready as you can be given the plans that you've devised. But eventually, you're going to have to take that leap, even though you're not going to be ready. It's going to terrify you, mm -hmm. but you're going to have to take the leap. You know, talking about those private podcasts, man, that one with Cal and Paul, mm -hmm. well, with, with Canyon City. Like that was, that was awesome, man. Like just, uh, having him play live music like that. Yeah. That, that alone, you could just, you could just take out anything I had to say and like, just put in what Cal had to say and can and, and, you know, Canyon city's music. Like it would be, it, that would be worth the listen. Just that. I can't wait to get, uh, Cal Newport back on the podcast. Yeah. Cause he has a new book coming out. I'm not even going to tell you about it yet, but it is, uh, oh my gosh. I, I wrote a blurb for it and he, he, he sent me a, uh, a message and said, hey, would you be willing to write a blurb for this book? And I almost always say no to writing blurbs. Mm -hmm. I, I said yes to two this year. One was for our our, our friend Paul Jarvis, mm -hmm. who has a book coming out um, about, I would just call it a minimalist business book. Yeah. And um, uh, Cal Newport's new book is about technology and our relationship with technology and the new technologies. And man, he, uh, he just... It's the best book I've read this year, and I can't wait to share it with you um, as soon as he he releases that book. All right, let's uh, move on to the added value portion of the show where we talk about what's adding value to our lives recently. So uh, our friend Andrew Bell, who probably has my favorite album of the last decade, of this decade, um, which is called Black Bear. And then he, his third album came out last year. We had him open up for our Indianapolis event. Yeah. And uh, he played some songs there. Mm -hmm. It's called Dive Deep. Well, he just put out this. It's not acoustic, but it, it's it's a hushed version of that album. It's what a five great songs. Idea. He did that, he did that with Black Bear. Yeah. Where he he had this like full you know studio produced album. And then came out with this like simplified version of not the whole album, but of, of different songs. Yeah, like a handful of songs. And it is so, so good. Yeah, In I fact, totally agree. If we can, uh, let's take the title track from that, Dive Deep. And uh, we'll play the hushed version at the at end of this episode. But you've got to check it out. I mean, Andrew Bell, it's, it's minimalist music, but it's... He does something with his his voice as an instrument. His songwriting is like an additional instrument. 
it is truly beautiful. And uh, yeah, we're grateful that he decided to do an event with us last year. But you got to check out this album. It is called Dive Deep Hushed. And it's, it's, uh, it's just an EP, five songs. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, since it's my birthday, I can recommend whatever I want. And when I'm recommending, if you want to get me a birthday present, uh, go to theminimalists.com slash, what is it, Josh? Dayton. Slash Dayton. And you can find out how you can donate to this food co-op that Josh and I are trying to build. Uh, the west side of Dayton is one of the largest food deserts in the country. It's about 100,000 people there who have access to fast food. They have access to uh, 7-Eleven food, but they do not have access to a grocery store. Like You cannot go buy a head of lettuce mm. in West Dayton. Yeah. Um, it's, it is a, it's a crisis. It really is. And Josh and I are trying to do something about that. If you can't afford to donate a buck, that's totally cool. Then donate $2. That's right. Donate a quarter. No, if, if you can't afford to donate a dollar, you know, it would really help me out. It'd help us out. It would uh, most importantly help Dayton out. Uh, just share it with your friends and family. Tweet about it or something. Just just uh, help us get to that number. We're trying to get 100000 bucks, And when we do, um, we can really make a huge difference in, in West Dayton. Yeah, so it's our hometown. And it is it has become, you know, like you said, one of the largest food deserts in the country. It's the second hungriest city for families in yeah. the entire country. So 40% of the city lives on the west side of Dayton. They do not have a single grocery store and you can help us change that. This isn't somewhere far off, somewhere in the world. Mm-hmm. This is this is quite literally in our backyards. You know, Ryan and I spent our first 31 years there in Ohio and we want to help give back. Yeah, we want to contribute in a way and you can help us contribute. Ryan and I are donating $25,000 of our own money and we need your help to to get the rest of the money to get yep. to $100,000. There is also this uh, Logic album that just came out. I don't I don't think you're not you're not a huge fan of Logic. Young Sinatra 4. Yes, it is uh <laughs> so it's not YS1V. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's short for. <laughs> it's funny cuz when I was writing this down I was like Yeesus. <laughs> <laughs> why sid yeah it's young sinatra four it's like this uh it's a series he's he's had yeah, for a while so good dude. I, re- I really enjoy it he's what's cool about logic is he's got this amazing way of like telling a story with his with his music but like he's telling us like, it's almost a musical like it's like a rap musical i feel like yeah i, I agree with that and, and especially his previous albums this one he really returned to that sort of boom bap from the 90 early to mid 90s especially with the it, production man. it was it was really good uh, uh, yeah I, I definitely enjoyed it so yeah if you want to enjoy that on ryan's birthday as well uh and then of course the minimalists.com slash dayton if you want to contribute to the food co-op all right let's move uh on to right here right now so we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Uh, right before this, we did uh, behind the scenes live on YouTube. So usually on Tuesdays, we record a quick like live behind the scenes, behind the podcast. And I just bring it up because we got to t- talk about Ella, my five-year-old who's in kindergarten now. She dealt with her first bully. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm not going to talk about it here on the podcast. If you If you want to... If you want to listen to it, but Bex and I had totally different parental advice and we finally met in the middle, but I was shocked by her parental advice because Ella has this bully in the house or in, in the school and who like goes up and hits her every day and calls her sour face and then he hits her and I'm like, well, of course you've got to hit him back. <laughs> and apparently I learned from Rebecca that might not be the best advice. Yeah. Um, but I also thought just going to tell a teacher immediately wasn't the best advice. So we came up with a strategy that we helped Ella with. So if you want to check that out, just go to Behind the Scenes Live over on our YouTube channel. Also, we've been doing uh, Screenless Saturdays. Yeah, man. 
This has been month. great. What do you What do you think so far? Any lessons learned? Well, you know, it's funny. The first screenless Saturday, uh, Mariah and I were playing. We were playing um, some board games. Like we went to the Russian bathhouse, and then we, you know, got home. Um, we, we went out, and grabbed something to eat. So it was probably about maybe five, six o'clock when we were home and had to find something to do. Uh, you know, besides um, read to each other or, I mean, which we did, we did do that um, before we went to the bathhouse. We were, we were reading an awesome book, um, uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. He'll be on the, he'll be on the show later this year, actually. It's, I'm really looking forward to that interview. But, but uh, we're sitting there playing this board game and I'm like, I really wish we had some music right now. But, you know, the music's on my phone. That's the only place I have my phone. Mm. And I just looked at Mariah and I'm like, this is a great experiment. I'm really glad that we're, we're finding things out about, you know, our screen usage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, I, we made the decision, like, if we want to listen to music, like, we're not, I'm not going to have a bad time just for the sake of, of an experiment. Right. But that's why we do these experiments. It's yeah. to really find out what adds value to our lives. Yeah. So, um, I remember we, we were over watching the third installment of the matrix yeah. not too long ago. Uh-huh. And I was, I was telling this to you and Bex and I was talking about how we were going to go on Sunday. We had to go to, um, uh, where the heck did we go? This is when you do the mountain biking thing. No, I'm, it was Saturday. So oh. Sunday is when we went out. I went mountain biking oh. Saturday. We went, we just met a friend over in Santa Monica. Uh, Oh, it was like a, um, it was, it was like a, yeah, it was like a yoga sound bath. Have you ever uh-huh. done a sound bath? Yeah. Dude, I love them, man. Like yeah, they're it's like not. It's not for me. Yeah, dude. It's like you. Re- yeah, you wouldn't be able to let go enough, man. Like I, you've I really got to let go of like you have to suspend. Oh, I can let go. So much disbelief. Yeah, I but I would. Ha- I don't have a belief. You have to p- also pick up another belief. Yeah, that I, I, I would. I would argue that you have to be able to lose yourself, and I could see where you would not be able to lose yourself in a sound bath. I, yeah, because it's because there's a lot of. It's very easy to judge a sound bath. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so uh, we went, we went, we did the sound bath, and then I'm like, and then I got to get from this sound bath back to Tony's, and I don't want to print out, and then I got to get home. Like, I don't want to print out mm-hmm. all these directions. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm definitely going to use my phone for maps. Yeah, so I can, so I can, uh, uh, you know, get, find my way home. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be roaming LA at midnight, you know, trying to find my way back. And uh, you were like, would it be so bad if you got lost, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Like that is, that's a good approach. Like at least I'm going to give it a shot. And if I do get lost, not, not the end of the world, I'll, you know, Mariah brought a phone in case of an emergency. Right. So, you know, we could always go to it if we, if we had to. Dude, it was great, man. Cause like when you, we did print out MapQuest. No, Google Map. Uh, is MapQuest still a thing? Probably is. We print out, we, we print out some Google Maps uh, directions, getting to um, uh, the the Yoga Works in Santa Monica or wherever it was, and uh, getting there. It's funny how I forgot about when you print out directions, you are cataloging the route. Like you are, I, like I'm making mental notes. Uh-huh. Okay, one one south, ten yeah. west. Four You're of, learning the four, city. 405 North. Yeah, dude. It's like, and, and I'm cataloging this because I got to get home. And I'm like, okay, as long as I can get the 405, I know from the 405, I can get to the 10. And from the 10, I can get to the 101. <laughs> it's like, and, and it and it's just like, and it was really easy. Because it wasn't someone else telling you what to yeah, do. Dude. You were, had to figure it out yourself. So it's like, we had directions to, to Yoga Works. When I got there, I explained to Tony, I'm like, dude, I need to follow you back to your house because I don't know how to go. And he's like, oh no, it's real easy. He just gave me like a couple turns. <sighs> 
Yeah. And like, and I, and I went, my biggest fear was like, cause in Los Angeles, I use Waze so much and it never takes you the same way. Uh-huh. It, it will, you know, uh, bypass as much traffic as possible. I mean, it doesn't take you the same ways. <laughs> so I was really worried about, you know, wasting. Cause dude, if you get on the highway at the wrong time, you're done. Yeah, you, you you are better off like just taking Santa Monica all the way to yeah. the beach rather than trying to get on the highway. Sometimes that's the best route, yeah. Right, so it's, I was it's really... apocalyptic on the 405 sometimes. Yeah, dude, so I was like worried about wasting, you know, an hour or two hours and it turns out really didn't waste that much time. I mean, yeah, this is anecdotal, it's, it's but... It's usually not that big of a difference no matter what. Right. Uh, it, yeah, you might, you might waste an extra 20 minutes. Yeah. But if you plan accordingly, or by the way, because it's screenless Saturday, we, we kind of don't have like, I need to be somewhere right now. Exactly. And the thing I've learned from this whole it's experiment... Permi- it's permission to like... To yeah, get lost to get lost bit. yeah absolutely and and by the way that that temporary deprivation yeah like i will go without you know we went without music or whatever like like I, I will go without it temporarily to realize it also helps me realize how much I, I do get value from that the other six days a week yeah and you know not being able to get on my computer and, and look up something on google or uh, check the dictionary definition of the word yeah i had that a couple times where i was like oh i want to look up this word and then yeah i was like oh i'll have yeah. to look it up tomorrow right and i'll write stuff down and 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 the learning of the directions like i remember when i uh, my mom when she moved to st petersburg florida back in 2008 right before she found out she had stage four lung cancer i spent a lot of time with her down in florida that year she was going through all the chemo and radiation but it was before the maps were ubiquitous on the phone or i had a map on, on my blackberry but it didn't work well it, and like, it always got you lost it gave you proximity yeah you're you're approximately here i'm like i'm not even there right now right i'm about yeah half a mile from there but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and so it just it, it, it wasn't very useful and so i remember printing out the directions and also i was taking my mom to all these different appointments for chemo radiation doctor's visits etc and as i was going through that I really learned the city. I fell in love with St. Petersburg because I learned the city. I knew how to get around. And even now, every time we go back, because we have a coffee shop there now, mm-hmm. I don't need maps to get around the city because I know how to go from A to B to Z mm-hmm. because I've gone through it so many times. You learn those patterns. Same with Dayton, Ohio. Uh, same with Missoula. We, we live there. Um, and And... I go to other cities though, and I'm like, I, I need this machine to tell me what to do. Well, it's weird because we ask the question, "What do we do before maps? Like, how do we get around?" And it's like they're actually disempowering. Yeah, they're so disempowering, and and, I, and honestly, like it, it makes you fearful of like learning something new. Mm-hmm. But the the ease of learning was was shocking to me. I didn't realize how, e- dude. I know just from that one Saturday. I could tell you exactly. I could tell you the, the one on one, the four or five, and the ten. I could tell you how to get almost anywhere with those three highways in yeah. LA now. Yeah, just it, from that one experience. But the thought of it before it happened, I was like, "There's no way I'm going to be able to learn all this in one day." But it's like, <laughs> it's, if you force yourself, you deprive yourself a little bit. It kind of forces forces uh, uh, creation, I guess, in a way. I think the lesson is, if you want to overcome fear, get lost a little bit. Yeah, man. I'll all right uh, what else we going what else is going on right now we've got uh new on our website um we have some new essays there's this cl- uh, clean surfaces essay um that's uh two rules that i've implemented uh, bex and i have implemented in our home about uh there's just these two rules of of having clear surfaces and having fewer surfaces in the house and we talk about why there we'll put a link to that in the show notes there's a few new essays on there uh, on the website as well also um my mom died nine years ago this month, 
And, uh, you know, it was, it was, I learned a lot from that whole experience and it's, it was the, it was a starting point really for the minimalist was her passing. I wrote a, a long essay about it called dealing with the death of a loved one. I wrote that a few years ago, but it's, uh, if you're going through that or if you, you know, someone in your family who has died recently, or if you're going through it right now, I, I send this to people all the time who are reaching out for, with questions about, you know, my father's in hospice or my grandmother, um, has, you know, gone to a nursing home and she doesn't have much longer. Um, this, uh, this is what I learned from that. So it's called dealing with the death of a loved one. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. We've got a few videos, uh, up on our website as well. You aren't entitled to anything and how to stop compulsive consumption. These are quickie episodes of the minimalist podcast. And also, uh, our Today Show interview uh, interview aired. So if you want to check out our newest Today Show interview, uh, you can go over to our... Actually, just go to the, the show notes page, theminimalists.com slash podcast, and uh, we'll put a link to the Today Show inter- interview in the show notes. If you want to comment on this episode, you can do so over at youtube.com slash theminimalist. Also on YouTube right now, we do quickie episodes of The Minimalist Podcast. If you want little short morsels, three to 20 minutes long versions of The Minimalist Podcast, Podcast, then you can check those out over our YouTube channel. Also, uh, Living Room Conversations. Every Wednesday, we put out a Living Room Conversation, either from Ryan's Living Room, my Living Room. We answer one question, little bite-sized conversations about minimalism. Also, we're going to do a house tour soon over on our YouTube channel, so subscribe if you want. You can find all the podcast show notes uh, on our website, but if you want them to show up right there in your email inbox, head on over to theminimalists.com, put your email address at the top, subscribe to our email newsletter there. Um, we'll send you any any of the new show notes that come out, also any new writings from The Minimalist, but no spam ever. Ryan, you got anything else for us? Yeah, man. I got some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Check them out. Hey, Minimalists. This is Morgan O'Brien from Davis, California. My husband and I recently left our job in Seattle, hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, and are now deciding on a new place to live and work. We've narrowed our search to two cities and are now waiting to hear back from companies we hope to work at. Through all this, we have discussed what we want in the city and recently re-listened to the city's podcast. We came up with a comparison process I thought would be worthwhile to share. First... List out what you value in a location. For us, these are things like walkability, restaurants, coffee shops, natural food stores, events access, and overall need for a car because we hope to go carless. Then we list our values. We listed our values and priorities in life. For us, these are health, family, friends, and community contribution. Then we made a financial slash job focus section where we compared job pay to relative cost of living the contribution of that work to our community and the work culture. We made a matrix in Excel for each, comparing the location and jobs separately. What this allows us to do is look at each place more objectively and consider all aspects of our lives in that location. We found we had a strong emotional connection to one of the two cities. It has allowed us to open our minds to the other great options that also align to our values, and we may have even found that it might be a better fit for us. <laughs> I hope this helps others in our situation. Hi, this is Kara in California, and I was just listening to your um, donating podcast, and I wanted to address the question about donating or tossing 
um, game boards or games or puzzles with missing pieces. And um, I'm an elementary teacher. And I know for a fact that many of our lower grade teachers keep games in their classrooms. And they're constantly looking for um, broken board games and pieces at um, places such as the Goodwill because kindergartners tend to lose those pieces. So anytime they can find a game and combine pieces and turn it into one game with lots of extra pieces so that way it's okay to lose the pieces, they are more than happy to purchase those things from Goodwill. And I just thought that would be um, a helpful thing to know that um, it really actually isn't trash to everybody. You can donate such things. Hi, guys. This is Jared from Seattle. Real quick, one of the three quick tips and suggestions I think that some people don't uh, think of when getting rid of stuff. Um, three suggestions. One, you could actually sell your unused clothes and make money. Um, there's a place out here in Seattle called Crossroads. They're also out in L.A. where they actually give you, um, I think, 35% of the sell price or they give you a credit, you know, a higher amount of money back to shop the store. Um, so that's a great um, thing we found, my wife and I found, when we're not using stuff to go actually um, sell our clothes. Two, there's a place called um, Twice Sold Books out here where you actually could sell your used books as well and actually earn some money. I had a ton of books um, highlighted dog-eared for no reason, um, never wound up actually um, selling, uh, I'm sorry, reading them, so I decided to sell them back and made some decent money. The last one is... Um, you know, you don't need to get – I have favorite boots. Um, boots are expensive. Quality boots are expensive. You can spend anywhere from $300 on up. So I just took them to get resold, and um, they're great. I thought it was going to need the whole bottom. I just need to um, get the heel redone. It was like 45 bucks. So anyway, three quick tips that I thought uh, might work uh, to save money and actually make a little money on the side as well. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. All right, oh, by the way, let's uh, let's play you out with, uh, with a sound bath. Just kidding. Uh, let's play you out with... Uh, Dive Deep Hushed by our friend Andrew Bell. Unless you're listening to this on YouTube, then I'm sure there'll be a link to a video or, or something. But if you listen to the audio version, enjoy Dive Deep Hushed by Andrew Bell. Oh, I don't want to stay I body around your fire escape but you won't let me go I said just on your stereo We started a fuse Started a tidal wave with a spark And I don't know you So are you sticking around? Are you just passing through? This is my heart Disappear.
You got us in my photograph and started a fuse Started a tidal wave with a spark and out of me Star. 